So we are uh, wrapping up, no, no, we're not actually, uh, so we're in the fourth week of a series uh, on, uh, called, called The Game of Life, and the idea for this series came from uh, a summer vacation this past summer. Uh, my daughter's playing The Game of Life on her cell phone, and uh, it's, it's an app based on the board game, The Game of Life, which, you know, if you're, if you're under 30, uh, you've only seen it on your cell phone. Um, if you're over 30, you've probably played it with cardboard, which just sounds crazy nowadays, but like the, the, the board game. And uh, she was in the back seat and she, you know, blurted out, oh crap. And I was like, what's the matter? I didn't know she was playing the game. I, something happened and I don't know, whatever. It's like an emergency. You know, what happened? She said, I just had a kid. Now I'll lose the game. And I just thought that that was like a, like a horrible perspective to see, to see children as a threat to your success in life. Uh, and then I downloaded the game and also agreed it stinks to have kids in that game because they take all your money. And, and the only way you can win at that game is by ending the game of life with the most money. So whoever ends life with the most money is the person who wins. And that is a horrible value to be communicating to my children, but they are learning it well. No, um, it's, it's a great game, and the series isn't about uh, you know preaching against the game or anything. It's, it's a fun game, and you know a lot of us grew up playing it, and nothing wrong with the game. And if you want to download it on your app, by all means, download it on your app and, and play it. You'll, you'll have a lot of fun. But, but there are five different aspects to this game. In, in, the, in the game, you get to a certain place on the board, and, and everybody gets, ma- gets married. Uh, and, and so in the first week, we talked about uh, marriage and singleness and, and dating, we talked about. Um, then then you'll, you'll have you'll have a kid at some point in the game that, uh, or maybe you're lucky and you won't have any kids. Isn't that a horrible thing to say? That's an absolutely horrible thing to say. So we talked about parenting and kidding, right? Like, like everybody here has a parent, uh, and, then, and then some of us have kids, so we talked about that. There's also other people in the game, um, and those people are not obstacles. Like, like in, in the game, you have to navigate around them and beat them so that you can get to what life is all about, and Pastor Stephen talked about that last week when, when he was uh, talking about that, how that people are, are not uh, uh, a distraction to the agenda uh, in the game of our life, but rather they are the goal. Like they, they are the whole point of, of the life that we're living. Um, and, then, and then this week uh, we're, we're talking about work because you, you take two paths right off the gate. So when you start in the game of life, you, have, you get to choose whether or not you, you get started right away into making money or, is if, or if you go the, the, college, the, the college route. If you go the college route, it takes you a little bit longer, uh, but then when you get to roll the dice, you, you might get a job that, that pays a little bit more, but it takes you longer to start, start making money. And so that's a choice you have to make at the beginning. And it's it's the, the idea of, of work, not necessarily college, that we're going to be talking about today. And this came up this past week when we were in Guatemala. Uh, so Grace Church has been partnered with uh, Mana Worldwide in Guatemala for like the last seven or eight years. At the beginning, it was just a, uh, it was a, it was a malnourished community. Uh, where the children were 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 not do- they were they were underweight, uh, even even on Guatemala, <laughs> even on third world country standards, uh, they were underweight. So Grace Church jumped in and helped provide food for all the kids in this one village of San Lucas and and the the uh, the western side of San. I believe it's I, I might have my directions wrong here. Uh, that would be south, and it's on uh, this side. So if that's south, that way is east. So the sorry so. 
if I didn't figure that out, I wasn't gonna be, that was going to stick in my head the rest of the talk today. So the east side of San Lucas is the side that's closer to the town and the main road, and it's a little bit more economically developed. But the west side of San Lucas, uh, people live in like lean-tos, corrugated tin roofs. They're just, they're just shacks. Uh, you, you've seen pictures on TV, so you, you know what I'm talking about. And uh, those people are living day-to-day, -day, uh, in many cases, on about a dollar a day is, is what they're, they're living on. And it's, it's unbelievably difficult, and the ones who suffer most are the children. So Grace Church kind of jumped in and, and started feeding these kids uh, through Manor Worldwide with the idea that this would be phase one of, of many phases that would end up with a healthy, life-giving, Jesus-focused church in that community uh, that would be a place for the entire community uh, to, be, to be advantaged. And that's kind of happening. So a few years ago through our Hope Project offering, which is what we do in December, uh, we, we, we bought them property. And the next year we helped, uh, and then we went down there and helped dig the trenches with the footings report. And I'm spending too much time talking about all of this. Just giving you an update. It went fantastic. There's a church now. They're feeding about 150 kids. Uh, the church has about 70, 80 people in it. Pastor PJ uh, is and, and his wife, I think her name is Morgan. Is that right? Uh, Morgan um, are, are the leaders in that church family, and, it, and it's going awesome. And we got to help them. And this year, they got the second floor on, the second story on, which is where their auditorium is. And then the, the kitchen is up there. It's fantastic. And uh, we took 43 people from Grace Church down to Guatemala this past week. We got back late Friday night. It was awesome. And, and that was, so we do that every winter break. Uh, and then spring break in, in April, uh, we're going to Haiti. And I believe there's still time to sign up. There's, sorry, you missed Haiti. So, uh, uh, in the fall, though, in October, we're going to Uruguay. Boom, that's the one, and there's still spots for the Uruguay trip, and, and we're helping out a Uruguayan uh, pastor down there who's, who's doing a, a, a church that's helping people in the community. Also, it's going fantastic. Anyway, uh, so uh, I, I, I was hanging out a lot with these two particular guys on this mission trip, one who's been before. His name is Matt McKay, and, and Matt is a uh, professional barber, uh, which in Spanish is barberos. That's cool, right? Like, pastor in Spanish is just pastor. That's kind of wimpy. Um, so barberos just sounds like, you know, manly and everything. So, um, and, and I can cut hair a little bit, not like they can, uh, but it was, it was Matt and Kyle, other professional barbers that went on the trip. And um, uh, these kids were in desperate need of, of a lineup, if you, you, if you feel me. So, uh, dude, their, their hair is awesome, though, because it's really thick and it's easy to, to, to shape and everything. It was, it was really cool. And, and, and so I've been cutting hair since 91, uh, and then, but I've never taken classes or anything like that, so I'm kind of a hack. Uh, I, I did my own fade, though, to, you know, so I'm just, yeah, I'm just, I knew I'd be talking about it today, so... So yesterday morning, I, I did, I did. So like this is, a, 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 this is like a, a half extended. Then a, not that you guys care, but it, it does go from a two, three, four, six, and then eight here. It doesn't matter. Okay, I'm bragging a little bit, a little bit. All right. Uh, but I can't cut hair like, like Matt and Kyle can cut hair. So everywhere we went, uh, we'd set up chairs, and the kids would just like, like the, the, we, I don't, <laughs> would not touch a girl's hair because I would, would, would butcher that. But um, in fact, they didn't want us because that that's the thing in Guatemala is like the girls, like if they have short hair, it's a punishment. They were, they were really bad, and that's something that their dad did to them to, to shame them. It's really horrible thing. Um, so none of the girls obviously got haircuts from us, but the, the boys were, and they, they, were, they were loving it. And so I'm learning all, you know, like a, a, I'm learning all, all kinds, of, kinds of things while I'm cutting hair with these guys. It was really cool. And got to hang out with them a little bit. 
And one of the things that Matt said or asked me, uh, I, I think it was Wednesday, and I, and I do have, like, he brought this up, and I was like, dude, this perfectly fits what we're talking about this weekend. Is it okay if I use, can I bring up this conversation at Grace this Sunday? He said, yeah, man, that's fine. So I have his permission to share this. But, but Matt, just randomly throughout the day, I, I think it, it, was, it was after or before we were cutting hair, we were actually painting at the time, and you know, he's got a roller, and I've got a trim brush, and, and uh, we just happened to be next to each other, and he goes, dude, and I don't know what made, like what line of thought got him to this question, but he just, he just randomly just says, do pastors ever retire? So, I mean, like, he's thinking, like, you know, this is his, like, I don't, like, what is he thinking to get to that question? I don't know, but he says, do, past, do pastors ever retire? And I'm like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a good question. Um, I, 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 I don't know. My dad's best friend uh, retired from his church in California and moved to Florida, which is where he, I believe it's where he grew up, and he tried to retire, uh, but then because he's a devoted follower of Jesus, he got really involved in his local church and then like started serving. They were like, you're kind of good at this. You want more responsibility, and he kept taking on more responsibility, and finally they just said, hey, what you know, we need you more time than what we can, you know, in clear conscience ask you to donate, and then I said, so he tried to retire, but now he's working like 20, 25. 25 hours a week, part-time at a church. So I think preachers can try to retire, but I don't know if it goes very well. Uh, and, then, and then his comment was, was this, and I, I wrote it down because I wanted to, 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 to give it to you the way he asked it. He said, uh, he goes, I, I guess uh, you probably never retire from helping people follow God. He, he said, your job is what life is all about. Life isn't about cutting hair. It's not like that matters as much. And that made me really sad. Um, that he, he, he had in some way, not, not, it was, it, and I don't, sorry, it, it's awesome that he recognizes that helping people find and follow God is the most important thing in life. Because it is. Because we can go down to Guatemala and put food in their bellies, but if we don't give them an opportunity to turn from their own personal brokenness and disconnection from God to find and follow him through faith in his son Jesus, then they enter eternity the exact same way that they finish their life, disconnected from God. So ultimately, what good have we done if all we ever do is fill their stomach with food but leave their heart empty of God? You see what I'm saying? So like, like and he gets that. I, I, I love that. But what, I, what makes me sad is that he was devaluing the impact his life, his talents, his gifts, and his abilities could have in the rest of the entire world simply because he wasn't getting paid to help people find and follow Jesus. He was getting paid to give them freshies and sweet fades, right? Um, and, and, but but I, my, my next comment to, to Matt was this. I said, I said uh, Matt, you talk to people that I will never meet in my entire life. And people will tell you things in a barber chair that they would never tell their priest in a confessional booth. And he said, brother, you have no idea. <laughs> right? Barbers are like priests nowadays as far as like, conf- like we, we talk to the dude, who, that dude who's just doing that, keeping his mouth shut. We, like if we ever see that dude in real life, we're going to throat punch him and run. He's got way too much goods on us, right? He knows way too much of my dirt. I can't, like, let that guy know anybody I know. Like, we tell them everything. I said, dude, you've got an opportunity to talk to people I'll never talk to. People who open up to you and share personal things about them. And, and, and my thought is that 
that, that you have a job that God gave you, and, and by the way, I'm going to be talking about work today, but if, if you haven't entered the workforce yet because you're a kid and you're still in school, every time I talk about job, I want you to insert school here where I, where I mention that. So I'll, I'll try, to, tr- try, to, try to bring that up uh, and, and mention school with it. Uh, but what if what you do for a living matters more to God than you think it does? What if it matters more to God what you do for a living than what it matters to you? See, I think a lot of us look at our careers as a necessary evil. Something that we just have to do so that we can get some more scratch, so that we can do what we really want to do. But what if it's not a means to an end, but a means by which God prepares us for the end? What if if it's more than just a job. What if God intended all along for this to be the place where he will get the most glory and others will be given the most good through your life? Here's the way I wrote it earlier. What if, what if it was through your work that God was going to do the greatest work through your life outside of your family? And what if the only thing that's keeping that from happening is the way you're looking at your job. The way you look at being in school. There's a guy named uh, uh, Joe Carroll who wrote a book, God in Your Work, and, and a lot of the thoughts from today's teaching comes from that book. I, I recommend it, God, God in, in Your Work. And, and he has this quote, he says, he says, work is where we'll spend most of our lives and experience God least. I think that's sad. But I don't think it has to be that way. I don't think that's the way that God intends it. And I think the only thing that's keeping that from happening, from you experiencing God more in your school, experiencing God more in your workplace, is simply your perspective on school, your perspective on your workplace. See, my dad's an Uber driver. He's 69 years old. He's a pastor. But he's not a pastor right now. He's in between ministry jobs. So homeboy's grinding. You know what he's got? He's got a car. And so he's Ubering. But to everybody, and to you, that's just an Uber driver. But my dad, before he's a pastor, before he's an Uber driver, he's a devoted follower of Jesus. And because he's a devoted follower of Jesus, he looks at everybody differently. And every stranger he's ever seen, he sees somebody that God loves so much that he would sacrifice the life of his son to rescue them from their disconnection from him. And because they're valued and loved by God, they're valued and loved by him. Total strangers. And those of us who are devoted followers of Jesus, that's why we have the capacity to genuinely love and care about people we've never met. Is because in every other person we've ever met on this entire planet, we see somebody that God loves so much, he willingly offered himself as a sacrifice to rescue them. And if God loves them that much then they're worth me talking to. Then they're worth me encouraging. Then they're worth me saying hello to. Even if they'll never say hello back. Even if I'll never say them again. Why would I do that? Because they matter. And I want them to know they matter. Because I want them to know God, who made them to matter. So because my dad is an Uber driver, but he's a follower of Jesus first, Every single person that gets in the backseat of his car, he wants to make an impression on. 
Now, my dad preaches here at Grace Church every Father's Day or Mother's Day, and, and I, I love that, being able to honor, honor my dad's lifetime of ministry. And, and personally, I grew up in his ministry, and I think that was a huge advantage to me as a devoted follower of Jesus, to have a godly man in, in the home who was the same guy at home as he was in the pulpit. So I never, I never really rebelled. or had, I wasn't like that typical preacher's kid because I don't think my dad's a typical preacher, right? Um, but he's a devoted follower of Jesus uh, first, and 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 a- after coming here a few times, I know that some of you guys have, you know, friended him on Facebook, and so you might know what I'm referencing when I say this. But uh, if you do follow his posts on on Facebook, uh, you'll notice that every day at the end of the day, when when he goes home, gets ready for bed, he types out a post of some type of spiritual conversation that he had with somebody who got in his car, and then he asks everybody who follows him on Facebook to pray f- to pray for that person. What I'm saying is that driving for Uber isn't just a means to get paid on Friday for my dad. It's a means by which he intends to make a difference in the world. And the only difference between the way my dad drives Uber and the way you go to work is the way my dad looks at the opportunity versus the way you don't look at it as an opportunity. That's the only difference. Chris Willis, he's the pastor of Discovery Church in Weymouth. He's a good friend of mine. Chris Willis isn't from New England. Chris Willis moved up to Boston to go to college like some of us. Moved up here to go to college and just never left because we, we love it here. It's awesome. Um, and, and so that's the same story with Chris. So Chris comes up to go to Bible college, and he's, he's a, a part of a church family. Uh, actually, as, just as a, a member of a church, like some of the people who are on the platform today, uh, Chris just, uh, uh, just volunteered his time to help another baby church get started. Uh, Meeting House Church, which was in Taunton, and now it's in, it's in Middleborough, uh, that was started uh, in part as w- while Chris Willis was just a college student working at the Lowe's in Weymouth. So he's just an entry-level, middle, uh, 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 um, uh, minimum-wage worker at Lowe's. Uh, but Chris Willis is a devoted follower of Jesus before he's a minimum-wage worker at Lowe's. He's a follower of Jesus first, he's a student second, and a Lowe's employee third. And so because that's the way he's arranged his life, he works at Lowe's differently than you work at Lowe's. And because of the way he works at Lowe's, nine of his fellow employees ended up becoming devoted followers of Jesus and were driving with him to Taunton every single weekend, and they got tired of driving to Taunton every single weekend. So then guess what Chris Willis felt like God was calling him to do with those nine friends at Lowe's who ended up following Jesus? They They started a Bible study in Weymouth, which grew into Discovery Church in Weymouth. Google it. That's still there. That got started by a Lowe's employee. See, you've been looking at your job wrong the whole time. For you, it's just a means to an end. But for God, it's the means by which you will become more like Jesus in the end. That's what it is. It matters to God what you do for a living, how you do it, and who you, who you do it for. In, in schools, the same way. Uh, Jim Capaldo was right. I don't know what, Jim Capaldo is just a guy I went to college with. He's a couple of years behind me. Uh, and he was roommates with my best friend, Danny Crawford. Not that you guys, I'm giving you way more. Who cares? All right, anyway, that's how I got to know Jim Capaldo and, and hear his story. But the, the, uh, the month before his senior year, so he, he was raised in the same town his whole life. 
as I understand it. And then the week before his senior year, his mom and dad moved to like Indiana or somewhere out in the, a, a flyover state. It, he, he moves there and he's like, you know, like, like, like my mom and dad did that to me. So uh, a week before my senior year started, uh, we moved from Orlando to Denver. And uh, I, I'm not telling you my story because my story didn't go near as cool as Jim Capaldo's because I was a baby my whole senior year. And all I would ever do is talk about how much I missed Orlando, which made it really easy for my other seniors to connect with me. And so I had a chip on my shoulder my entire senior year and looked out like I'm just graduating a bunch of seniors and I can't wait till this year is over because, dang it, homeboy's getting out of here, right? That's how I spent my senior year because I didn't look at it right. Jim Capaldo looked at it right. He had one year, and for him it wasn't like, I got one year until I can get out of here. Jim Capaldo looked at his senior year and was like, I got one year to make a difference. And so Jim Capaldo walked into a brand new school as a senior, completely different than the way Sean Sears walked into school for not knowing anybody, anybody else his senior year. And because of that, Jim Capaldo made a difference. Because of that, Sean Sears didn't. During Jim Capaldo's senior year, 50 of his new friends that he had never known before this year, 50 of them start showing up every single weekend at his church going to youth group with him. And 30 of them became devoted followers of Jesus and were baptized as followers of Jesus in that church. And three of them went to Bible college with Jim Capaldo after they graduated together. That's the kind of difference one 17-year-old can make when he looks at going to school. <clears throat> Not as a means to an end, but as the means by which God will be glorified in the end. And you're wasting all of your middle school years and you're wasting all of your high school years because you're just grinding it out until you can get through this. And what I want you to know is you are surrounded by people I will never meet. And that's okay because they don't need to meet me. They need to meet the God who's already met you. And that's why he put you in that ninth grade. That's why he put you in that new school. And that's why you came up here for college. It wasn't just to get a plaque on your wall so that you can make more stupid money. It was to make a difference in the lives of all of those who are also in that school with you. Your roommate is not just somebody who helps you pay the rent every month. They are a person for whom God gave his life to rescue. And it's not an accident that you're their roommate. You've been looking at it wrong. And the job you have. Man, if you can't love the job you have, love the ones you do the job with. It's not an accident that you're at that place. You've just been looking at it wrong. Do you know, like, like, we feel like work is like some kind of a curse. And some people will say that work is a result of the fall of God away from man in the garden. But God gave man work before man ever rebelled against the authority of God. Work had always been a part of the plan from God's perspective. In fact, the first person in the entire Bible who has a job is God. On day one, he did his job. On day two, he did his job. On three, four, five, and six, he did his job. And God, on the seventh day, what? Took a day off. What does God do on his day off? I, I, I probably shouldn't bring up a question that I don't have an answer to. That was dumb. 
I, I've, I have no idea. I didn't go to a casino because they weren't invented yet. So I don't know. I didn't mow grass because it hadn't had a chance to grow. It was just a few days old. Like I don't, I, but but he, he, he rested because, because he worked. And I don't know if he ever got a chance to rest again because once we went off the rails, he had a new job. And that new job was to chase after and rescue and bring us back to himself. But in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, God gives mankind their job. Like this is, before, this is before sin came into the world. So in a perfect world, God said, in a perfect world, this is what mankind should do. Mankind should worship me as the source of life. That just makes sense. Don't turn your back on the source of life or you'll find death. Don't turn your back on the source of all that's good or you'll find all that is bad. It, it, is our, it is to our best benefit that we worship God, the source of all that. Is, that that's just smart. Uh, the second job that he gave us was to create family. And then the third job was to cultivate the earth. That, 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 that word cultivate comes from a Hebrew word which means to improve on situations. That's, that's what it means. It means, it means to, in, to improve on. Uh, that, that, that's what it means. And he said, this is what I did. I, I created order out of chaos. I, 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 I brought things into existence that did not exist before this. And this is what I want you guys to do for all of eternity. This, this is what I want you to do. And then we, we botched that up, but, but God's been working ever, ever since. In um, uh, in Gen- excuse me, in Exodus chapter six, verse six through nine, the Bible says that God is right now at work redeeming His people with outstretched arms, with mighty acts of judgment to make you His people and to become known as your God. Job chapter thirty four says that if God were to stop working, all of life would cease to exist. That's what he does. Like, like he, the Bible says he holds things together. Uh, all of the universe, he holds it together. So if God stopped doing his job, everything would fall apart. Philippians chapter 2, verse 13 to 15 says this. For God is right now working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. And if you're disconnected from God, I know it pleases him. And that's when you come to the place where you accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that will pay off the debt you've created between you and a holy and righteous. God as judge because when you stand before God and I stand before God he'll ask are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws and are you are you innocent or guilty of ever breaking a commandment or being selfish towards your fellow man yes or no are you innocent or sorry I said are you innocent or guilty yes or no well yes I am one or the other a stupid question preacher move on so just ask, answer this way. Are you innocent or guilty of breaking God's laws and being selfish towards your fellow man? And if God is good, will he as judge let guilty people go free? Not if he's good. But he would let somebody who is innocent take your place. But who here is innocent? None of us. I can't pay off your debt before God because I have my own. And even if I was innocent, I could only pay off one person because it's life for life. But if God showed up in human history, and if God died for the sins of the world, how many people is God's life worth? All of them. So that's what he did. So I know what pleases God. God is right now at work in your life drawing you to him. And you think being here this weekend is just a coincidence, and it's not. God's working and if you've already turned from your disobedience and accepted Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection as the payment for your debt, 
you've repented of that, you've let go of it to begin following after Jesus for the rest of your life, look at the rest of this passage of Scripture. So do everything without arguing and complaining so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. That's what pleases God now. For you to live in such a way that you become a bright light in a crooked and perverted world. Where is that? Where is that crooked and perverted world? Your school and your what? Your work. Like that is the fullest expression of your relationship with God. When Jesus came to his disciples in Mark chapter 4, he said, if you follow me, I will make, and they were fishermen, so they understood this metaphor. If you follow me, I will make you fisher of other men. Like the, 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 the end result of you following after the ways of God is your passion about those who don't care about the ways of God. You are fully mature in your relationship with Jesus when you are now focused on those who don't have it. Does this make sense? You are growing in your faith when you are most loving to those who don't share it. So the whole point of this, God is right now at work, and those of you who are distant from him, to find and follow him. For those who have already found him and are in the process of following him, is to live in such a way that you become attractive to the people that you go to school with. I don't mean physically attractive, but people feel that you love, live, give, and serve the way Jesus lived, loved, gave, and served. And whether or not they would see it as something Jesus would do, and whether or not they connected to Jesus, you and I both have to live in such a way that other people are wanting to be around us more often, not so that we can feel good about ourselves, but so that they can see that they are valued and then that value comes from outside of them. So they, we have an opportunity to influence, to have a conversation. Listen, everybody talks about religion, but they only want to talk about religion to people they're friends with. And my job as a devoted follower of Jesus is to be that kind of friend to everyone. That's why my dad can love a total stranger, genuinely care about a total stranger in the backseat of his Uber car that he'll never see again. That's why Chris Willis worked at Lowe's in Weymouth differently than you work at your job. Because of the way they look at it. Because of what God is already at work doing in them. John chapter 5, verse 17 says, My father is always working and so am I. Jesus said that. Work is so important to God. Solomon gets to a place where he says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 22, uh, he, he says this about work. He says, so I saw that there is nothing better for people than to be happy in their work. That's why we're here. God says, this is awesome. Like, you know what I love? I love seeing you love what you do. I love seeing you get out of the car at school on Monday morning looking for opportunities to be a blessing to other people, not just looking to pass your class. That's what I love. There's nothing better than that. There's nothing better for you to go into a job you hate and looking at this as an opportunity to worship the God you love. There's nothing better than that. Nothing better than that. Than you looking at everything, you're, like every part of your life as an opportunity for God to be worshipped and others to be brought to Him. We've just been looking at it wrong. That's all. 
what we do matters to God. It's in, it's in work that we bear God's image. So when we are productive, we are a picture of God who is productive. Just like we've talked about our sexuality is a picture of the relationship between Jesus and his bride, the church. The way that we work is a picture of the, the way that God is, is creative. So it's, it's important to God and, and, and it matters. Uh, just like uh, uh, when we show empathy or when we forgive people who have hurt us, we are displaying the image of God in the way that we treat other people, the way that we forgive them, the way that we're able to show kindness and, and love and, and, and forgiveness, um, but it is also in work that we are a reflection of the character and nature of God. When we turn fabric into clothing, when we teach a child how to read, when we, when we, when we pull our bike and our lawnmower up to this house and it's got grass that's up to the middle of your, your shin and, and you mow that down and you create beauty out of, out of, out of ugliness and, and, and messiness, God says, that's awesome. Like I, I love that. When you, when you write code, that then allows somebody else to push a button and a whole bunch of other things. Like, you're bearing the image of God. You're following after the pattern of God when you do this. Like, you need to find ways in which what you do is a reflection of the character and nature of God, regardless of what it is that you do. If it's just welding two pieces of scrap metal together, that then becomes a functional tool or, or, or piece of material that can be used for... When you conduct uh, electricity through a, 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 a wall, a, a flammable wall, uh, and then... And then and, in such a way that, that, that it doesn't catch fire. To the, like, like, that's awesome. Like, like you're harnessing, like, like energy. And, like, like when, there's an elevator man here. When you, when, you, when you walk into a building where people can't go from one floor to the other floor unless they've got two good working legs, and you make it for them to go from the first floor to the top by just pushing a button, God goes, you created something out of nothing. You did something with raw materials. God says, I love that about you. Like, like what we do for a living matters if it reflects some part of the image of God. But if what you do destroys people's lives, you're in the wrong field. If what you do, if the only way you can make money is by hurting people or disadvantaging them or taking advantage of them, those are the, like, like what you do for work matters to God because you are to bear His image. When you bandage a wound in the ER, when you when you take some kid's scrappy, nappy head and you line that thing up all night, that's awesome. That art, that creativity. When you, when you make music, when you teach other people to make music, God says this is beautiful. You, what you do for a living matters because if it bears the image of God, you need to find ways in which what you're doing displays the character and nature of God. And doesn't destroy it. Because if it destroys it, you need to switch jobs. So what you do matters. How you do your job matters. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 13. Uh, excuse me, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 5 through 8 says this. Uh, and it's going to talk about slaves and masters. And, and, and in the Roman context, this wasn't always the way that we think of slavery here in America because of the brokenness of, of, of our history. Uh, in those days, if you didn't have land or title, uh, you could become an indentured servant. You, you could sign up to a household, and uh, they would provide your housing, your living, and, and, and a reasonable wage. Uh, there, there's a whole, man, there are hundreds of verses in the Bible on, on, on work, 
and, and on employers and, and being an employee. And so when Paul talks about slaves serving their masters, he, he talks about the way that they, they actually had the opportunity to leave, to leave their masters. So it's, it's not like the slavery that we know. Think of it like a, like a, like a servant is what it was. But, so there was a, a financial arrangement. And, and actually in the Torah it says that if somebody who is a, a servant finishes their contract with you and then they leave and you recognize that God has, has blessed you, that, you have, that your wealth has increased in part because of the value they added to, to, your, to your income, that when they leave your employment, you are to tip them in proportion to the way that they have advantaged you. And none of the business owners want me to tell you where to find that Bible verse right now. But did you know that? Like, that, like there's, there's rules for this. Like, because it, it all matters to God and, and, and how, we, how we work, how we employ people. Like, some of you guys are bosses and some of you guys are worker bees. And, and like, the way you're a boss or the way, you're, the way you work, like, all of this matters to God. And it's in this context that he says, Slaves, servants, obey your earthly masters, your bosses, your employers with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Jesus. Try to please them all the time, not just when they're watching you. And isn't that the way it, it often is? Like, we do the right thing when the bosses around. And God says, that's, that's wrong. If you're a devoted follower of Jesus, you should become the most valuable employee in your business. If you served your employer the way you served Jesus, they would see value in employing you. You would be a huge asset to them. They, they would weep when you left. Uh, try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you as slaves of Christ. Do the will of God with all of your heart. What is the will of God? That you work better in your work. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord himself rather than for your boss or your company. Remember that the Lord will reward each of, you, each of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free, whether we are employees or employers. We are to do this. There's a guy named, uh, my, my backdoor neighbor is the best example of this, I think. His name is, his name is uh, Bimbo. Uh, it's not his real name. His name is Ron. But I don't think anybody in the world knows his name is Ron because uh, his dad's name is Ron. And uh, so when they named their son Ron, he just called him Bimbo. I, I said, why would your dad call you that? He goes, I, I, have, I have no idea. So, but nobody calls him Bimbo anymore because he's an auto body guy and he's got, he's got forearms bigger than my thighs. thighs. So you, you just call that guy Bim and you leave it alone. All right? So Bim's, Bim's an auto body guy who's a devoted follower of Jesus who recognizes that everything that he does is a representation and a reflection of the character and nature of Jesus in his work. So in the automobile industry, especially in the auto repair business, insurance companies have to pay for the work that's done to your car if you, if you, have, if you have car insurance. And you have to get estimates on those. And, and in the insurance business, they know that auto body shops rip people off. They know this, and so they automatically allow for the auto body shop. So there's a book that says how much they're supposed to charge for all the work that's done, and then the insurance company will automatically pay 10% over that to compensate for the way that the auto body shop is expected to rip off the insurance companies. How many of you guys knew that? How many of you guys are insurance people, and you know people rip you guys off? There's some of us who work for insurance companies. All right, Bill won't do that. So he's an auto body repair shop manager who's been fired from three different auto body shops because he won't rip off the insurance company. And the owner of those dealerships have said, but they will pay that. And he says, it doesn't matter. 
It didn't cost us that. And they said, if you don't do this, you need to find another place to work. And he's been fired from three jobs. But here's how God honors that. Everybody who knows this story knows Bim will do an honest job. He's not the cheapest because he doesn't do crappy work. He's fair. And so everywhere Bim goes, he brings a loyal clientele with him. Billy Jane needed her bumper fixed. I called my backdoor neighbor Bimbo, and I said, Bim, where are you working? And he said, Janelle's Auto Collision in Weymouth. That's not the closest auto body place to me. But if that's where Bimbo is, the homeboy's taking it to Bimbo. Are you with me? Because that guy works differently than other people work. Because he recognizes how I do my job is just as important to God is the fact that I do my job. Same is true for you. Third thing is, who you do it for matters. We're only going to read one passage of Scripture, then we'll wrap it up. Matthew chapter 5, this is the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, He says, you, if you are, have turned from your disobedience towards me to begin following after me, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be, it'll, it'll be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. He said, you are to be salt in a tasteless world. You are to have the taste of godliness in your life. Why? So that other people, when they are around you, get a thirst for me. But if the way you work, the way you go to school does not reflect my character, my nature, if the way you do these things does not have a taste of godliness to, to you, to, to, if the way you do these things do not have a taste of godliness in them, then truthfully, your actions are worthless. They're not doing anybody any good. It's wasted. You're salt. I rescued you to rescue people. I saved you to save people. I loved you to love people. I forgave you to forgive people. I serve you to serve so that you would serve others. That's why. And you have to have the taste of me in your life so that others will begin to crave me also. But if you've lost that, then what good is your job? You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hid. Where's the light for? What, where's, where's light do its best job? In dark places. Where are you at? Monday through Friday. Dark places. Some of you guys are like, and I come home to dark places too. <laughs> and that's fine. Like, like, that's what you were made for. You think the corruption in your workplace is the reason why you should leave. And I'm saying on the authority of God's word, it's why you should stay. The evilness of the people you're around is why God put you there. They're trash talking in your home room. That's why God put you in that home room. Like, like that's why you're, yes, it's dark. Yes. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly why God put you there. That's why God moved Jim Capaldo from wherever awesome place he lived to wherever flyover place he moved to. Because they were dark. And there were 50 teenagers in that school that needed Jesus. And God knew they're only going to have a chance if I move the whole Capaldo family. So get out your Pinsky. Get on the road. That was a dumb metaphor. It's whatever. 
I'm not going to stick with it. I'm going to bail on it while I'm ahead. Verse 8, 16, in the same way, in the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise who? That's why. Some of you, you're doing good things because you want them to praise who? It ain't never been about you, though. Never has been. Never has been. Work is not a means to an end. It is the means by which you become like Jesus in the end. You've just been looking at it wrong. So I want to wrap up with a few questions. First question is this. What if it was through, and this is the question I asked at the beginning, what if it was through your work? What if it was in this school year that God was going to do the greatest work through your life outside of your family? What would need to change tomorrow? How do you go to school differently tomorrow than when you went to school two Fridays ago? Because we didn't have school this past week. How do you go to work differently tomorrow than you left work on Friday? If it is through the job you have right now that God will bring, be, be given most glory and others will be given most good, what has to change about the way you do what you do? What kind of an employer are you? What kind of an employee are you? What kind of a student are you? This next question might help you answer that, that question. How do others in your workplace feel about you? The ones who are farthest from God, do they feel most loved by you? In your classroom, at school, do the ones who are farthest from God feel most loved by you? Because if they don't, I don't know if you're doing the Jesus thing right. Then we're going to pray in just a second, and I want you to ask God to help you look at your school and work differently. And I want you to ask God to let you experience him at work this year. What that looks like, I have, I have no idea. You probably don't even know what that looks like yet. But you never will if you don't ask. What would it look like for you to experience God at school with the five months left that we've got of school? Like, like what, what, what needs to change? And what would it look like for God to be brought the most glory and others to be given the most good in the next five months. I have absolutely no idea. You get to be creative about it. Whatever awesome thing God puts in your heart, you get to try. It's going to be pretty cool. But it won't happen at all if you don't make yourself available. So that's what I'm asking you to do right now. So if you would, bow your head with me. God, I'm glad that you care about everything we care about. And you do because you care about us. You love us. We're creating your image. We are the reason you showed up in human history, offered your life as a sacrifice for the stupid things we've done so that we could be brought back into a relationship with you. God, for those of us who are still distant from you, I pray, keep chasing us down. For those of us who, we're, you're, you're doing your job, which is bringing us to you, and, and they're here. So if that's you right now, you're spiritually disconnected from God, let them know, God, I, I feel disconnected from you right now. If you believe that Jesus offered his life as a payment for your sin debt, tell him, God, I, I know you died on the cross. I know you were buried and rose from the dead to give me a new life. And tell him, that's what I want. Take away my sin and help me to follow you with the rest of my life. I'm all in. I'm letting go of that to hang on to you. Let that be your prayer. If you've already come to that place and you've just been looking at school as a necessary evil so that you can get out of it, 
you're not looking at it right. And if you're looking at your work just as a necessary evil, a means to an end so that you can get more money so you can do what you really want, you've not been looking at this right. And you're leaving a whole lot of game left to be played on a field. Like God intends you to make a difference in the world in places that preachers can't ever go. But you're there every day. You just ain't been looking at it right. God, show me. Make that your prayer. God, show me what needs to change in the way that I go to work, the way that I talk to people, the way that I serve my employer, the way I talk about my employer, the way that I love other people, the way that I help other people, the way that I go out of my way, or the way that I don't. God, show me what needs to change in my life so that you can bring change through my life. God, I'm on the team. I want to get in the game. Let my life matter and help it to count, but help me to look at my life differently from now on. God, this is the prayer that we ask, and we ask it in your great name, Jesus, and we all pray and say together, amen.